This is Inside Marketing, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to Inside Marketing. This is our last episode this year. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look, well, slightly look back at the year that's been and more importantly, look forward to the year ahead. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Kieran O'Kane, who's CEO of Wirecorp. Welcome, Kieran. Hello. Great I'm, to be here. It's great to have you. I'm also joined by Lindsay Roundtree, who's Global Head of Content at Wirecore. Welcome, Lindsay. Hello. First of all, how are you getting on? Like, how's London? How's lockdown? How's, what kind of lockdown are you guys in at the moment? Is it? Uh, level. We're currently in, well, we're currently in full lockdown. Lock- full lockdown. Full lockdown. It's not quite as strong as full lockdown was back in the summer. Yeah. Right. From Wednesday, we're then going to move into tears. And mm. pretty much all the country is in the mid-tier, which is kind of the same as lockdown is now. So yeah. basically, it's as confusing as it ever was in London. Right. Basically, Boris hasn't a clue what he's doing. The pubs reopen next week as long as you have a burger or a chip. Yeah, I don't know if ours are going to reopen. We're open hairdressers and things like that, but you're not allowed to have a socially distant pint. But you can go in and get your hair cut or a massage, which doesn't seem to make sense. <laughs> um, anyway, we'll crack on. Uh, anyone who listens to... Any of these industry podcasts will probably recognize Lindsay or Kieran because they have their own brilliant podcast, Mad Tech. And if you haven't checked it out, I highly recommend it. And also just an honorable mention, Kieran is no stranger to Inside Marketing. He was on the podcast earlier this year and we talked about some of his big predictions. So he was so well behaved then, I thought we'd have him back on. And it's great to have Kieran on because he can say a lot of the things that I might think, but I can't say because you know I won't get in trouble because everyone's entitled to their opinion. So it's great to have you back here. On it went, I got lots of great feedback on you on earlier this year. So oh, really? um, yeah, yeah, great because as I say, I can't say some of the things you say because um, right. yeah, you know, you know yourself. Anyway, we're going to chat about the big bets for 2021 and. Again, anyone who listens to MadTech will know this is something that Kieran is famous. I say famous, relatively inverted commas, famous for. So, and he has a pretty good record in getting some of these things right today. So, I'm going to chat about. He he talks. He has a lot of predictions. We're going to pick through a couple of the kind of bigger ones I think are relevant for today. And to kick off, I'm going to start. Like I think Kieran, I read a piece you wrote, and it was kind of called "2021 is going to be a year of great fragmentation." So that theme runs through a lot of the points. So the first one I'm going to start with is. Because earlier on this year, you said that uh, Google would get out of display. They'd offered up as a sacrificial lamb to kind of appease the regulators. So, and you are pretty adamant that this is not a case of if, it's a case of when. So, Kieran, I'm going to start with you. Give me your thoughts on that and um, talk about the potential upsides and downsides that may come with that of Google exiting ad tech and display. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I would have to highlight this and put a red mark underneath this. I, I didn't say this to be a 12 month prediction. Like, I didn't expect to, to break up the company in December. And it was all kind of post Biden stuff and Elizabeth Warren probably getting in a top cabinet role. I, I just think that uh, we were talking about that today in our own podcast. And, you know, Google actually have introduced a new feature on YouTube where they basically just told people who host videos on YouTube, like ourselves, we have a lot of. Um, uh, a lot of our uh, trailer talks and whiteboard sessions hosted on YouTube um, that they're now going to serve ads against it. Like so, you know, it, it's like it's a it's a runaway train, Google. So they're at some stage they're going to have to figure out how they're going to you know appease competition authorities in Europe and in the US. So you know they've got a bunch of court cases that are uh, uh, sort of court cases they're they're staring down at the minute. Uh, I know the FTC have a case against them in the US, Miss Fastasia or Mrs. Fastasia is uh, investigating them again in the EU. You know, I think they'll probably, I mean, I did say this before, I think they will divest certain assets they don't see as like Mm. essential to the company, right? 
Google want to hang on to YouTube, right? Absolutely, absolutely. It's a crown jewel for Google, mm. right? It's a, it's an amazing asset for them. And it's almost like a separate company, but it, it's churning out so much money. And I still, when they look at the weakness of their business, they're looking at, you know, their, their display business and their network business and going, you know what, we don't make as much margin from that as we mm. do from, from, from YouTube or even our core search business. So I still maintain that they will start maybe looking to appease legislators by offloading certain assets. Mm. And this is one of the assets I still think that they will look to, to get rid of. Because at the minute, right, they're out of control, right? They're doing mm. things. They, it's like Lindsay said today, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing, yeah. right? They, they seem to be just completely doing things that are not helping them really in the sort of like the core of uh, public opinion, right? They just do things to the industry like today's YouTube announcement, that is not helping them, right? So they may take a decision and get ahead of it. And I still yeah, think yeah. they will do it. Lindsay, just your point of view on that, like, I mean, Kieran's adamant and he did say, I think it was back in February. So do you see it happening? Like, it's a, it's a large revenue stream. Uh, probably, yeah, it was back then, ages ago, it was a bombshell, I remember back then, but now it's probably less of a bombshell. But Lindsay, is it kind of, as Kieran said, is it inevitable that they're essentially picking their punishment now rather than potentially getting one more severe handed down to them? Do you think it's likely to happen? I think they would rather, in, in a world where um, all these megalomaniacs are just that they're megalomaniacs they'd rather be in control of the situation they'd rather do something off their own back than have it have it be brought down to them and be told mm. to do it that, that's definitely something that they're going to want to do so is that what they would get rid of i have to i have to point out and remind kieran of this because he'll say he never said it or he forgot about it but on stage at one of our events last year he, he believed google would sell chrome so right. um yeah so his predictions do, yeah, they come and go. Come yeah, and wait. the published ones, the ones that go on the record, I'm sure, Kieran, you make lots of predictions and measuring them in Steins probably is a bit indicator of, of yeah, the, I mean, the, the format. I mean, that, that, obviously, that's an indication of how, how reckless they are. Like, yeah. you know, I drank a lot of those Steins, so, you know, I mean, so <laughs> hardly some of them. But Lindsay's right. Some of them are uh, a bit outlandish, and I did make that prediction about it's, Chrome. It's probably it probably makes sense. I mean, isn't Chrome their is like their baby? That's their their business. That's their core business. They don't want to do away with that. Um, YouTube, I think, is fair to say is where the huge growth is and will continue. And search as well. And actually, so the search business is so big for them. Such a massive driver continues mm. to continues to grow. And, yeah. and the more that I mean, they're getting in trouble a lot for this for the US and in, in how they are um, pulling all different parts and kind of building them into their search product, like shopping, like maps, mm. like like video uh, and kind of bulking out their search product, the, the legislators in the US are coming down on them very hard for what they're doing there. But mm. it's such a massive thing for them that they will probably toe the line a bit more in that regard and then choose to, again, kind of what's, what's the right hand doing versus what the left hand's doing, get rid of the the um, the display stuff because that seems to be their weakest link and yeah. the thing that will ultimately get them in the most trouble. I think it's not at the moment because there's largely still a lot of misunderstanding about how dangerous Google's double-click Google's display side of their business is. Everyone's focusing a lot on with well, the US, especially. I keep I keep the US up because they're the ones talking about it. What they're doing from a search side of the business, their display business is dangerous. And when that starts getting realized more and more, they're going to need to do some more about it. And it needs to be more than what mm. Margaret Vester keeps doing, which is just finding them. Like finding is not enough because they'll just pay the fine and carry on. Oh yeah, the fines are so small. I mean, they're big numbers, but they're relatively speaking, they're dropping the ocean. Like yeah. you know, they're not a deterrent. <laughs> The other thing to do, to understand here is, I know I made these predictions, right? But Google generally buy their way to innovation, right? Mm. Think about it, right? They bought YouTube. They bought DoubleClick. They bought AdMail. They bought most of their ad tech stack. They didn't buy the search business, but, you know, 
but that's okay. They, they, that's the core business that they evolved. Mm. But generally speaking, the growth they've had has come from M and A, right? Mm-hmm. What they can't do now is buy yeah. the way to growth, right? So they are very weak in shopping, right? Mm-hmm. The ability to sell through the Google platform. And that's been told to me by many, many people who work at various companies around it. Google has a very weak shopping uh, platform compared to the Amazon. And they were they desperately want to grow that. But they generally speaking, they turn around and buy somebody to do that. Like, you know what I mean? Something like Shopify. Imagine if Google got its hands in Shopify mm. or, or another platform like that. So in a way, this sort of focus on their outsized growth and strength in the business means that they can't buy the next wave of companies, which is, mm. I guess is kind of a good thing because yeah. if you think about it, it then puts them in a wee bit of a box. It's the same with Facebook. They're looking at e-commerce, but they can't buy anything now because they're mm. under the microscope. So the next uh, for the next decade, they, these guys will be up, like, if they can't be broken up, they'll be restricted. Yeah. They won't be allowed to buy. Like, if you think about it, right? If Facebook hadn't bought Instagram, yeah, no, absolutely. where did growth yeah. come from, right? Yeah. Right, seriously, like, I mean, like that thing is, is the sort of growth engine of that business. Mm. And likewise, if you take out YouTube out of Google, like Google still have search business, it'd be a fabulous business, but YouTube ha- is literally the CTV for the global sort of buying community, right? Because there is no CTV outside the US. Mm. So again, again, I know, I know I'm kind of predicting the, the display business, but the knock-on effect of it not happening is that Google will not be able to do anything. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess you could argue that it's long overdue and that like they shouldn't be allowed to get to this size. But I guess where they could potentially go in terms of you know e-commerce and acquisitions, it's best to, to clip their wings now, I guess. Okay, the second point that I want to talk about is Google-related again. So it's, uh, I mean, it's not news about the phasing out of third-party cookies. Um, and Kieran, I read one of your articles, you said the fallout from this is the, the knock-on effect or what the kind of industry readjustment is going to be seismic. So it's essentially, um, I don't know what way you put it, but it's going to like a control-all-delete moment for the industry, complete total recalibration, I think. And Kieran, the, the piece I read that you wrote was quite interesting because you said, look, targeting is not a big issue. It's not targeting is not the problem. It's context targeting works as well as behavioral. The real issue is measurement as we move away from a common ID. So how does the industry readjust itself? Because again, I read a couple of different articles. One of the ones was about, a, you know, it'll be a panel-based solution, which sounds like it's going backwards, but you said not necessarily so. So I'd start with just thesis around the fragmentation, right? So I, I, I think the deprecation of third-party cookies and the going away of IDFA is probably the best thing that happened to ad tech in 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. So what happens is that we become less dependent on Google and, and Apple as sort of like as the arbiters of, of truth for us in terms of measurement and, and targeting, right? So it means that ad tech has to innovate. And I'm not worried about the targeting features that, that would be available to buyers, right? Because between all these new wave ID companies like Infosum and, you know, the contextual players in Europe, uh, who has primitive, all these kind of new, new mm-hmm. sort of breed ID companies in Europe, specifically in Europe, because Europe seems to have, have hit the wall first in terms of privacy. I'm not worried about the, the targeting piece because we can we can figure it out right context works right and mm-hmm. and, and we we have enough sort of a persistent id like live ramp etc that can help us target as well right? what i worry about is how do you measure the how all this works right mm-hmm. omni channel piece where we don't have a third party cookie anymore how do we actually make that work and that for me is a real opportunity for ad tech 
right? That's that is the one thing. And I, I you know, we 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 see this all the time. We see vendors every other day, and 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 they're all talking about targeting, but never talking about mm, measurement. Yeah. You know, for me, that's that's the key, right? Yeah. Um, you know, when you talk to your clients, Dave, you're 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 spending a ton of money on programmatic, and if there's no third party cooking, you can't do the post view metric. You can't show yeah. how display had an effect on purchase down the sales funnel. How do you show why am I spending a million mm-hmm. pound or two million pound on these display campaigns? Mm-hmm. So that that for me is is the thing we need to fix. Now, how do we do that? I don't know. I, I mean. I think that some of the companies, like particularly LiveRamp and the likes of Infosum, could engineer their models to being measurement as well as targeting. That's possible. The panel-based stuff just allows us probably to scale that, although I've been like, you know, there's a few people in the industry so that you're talking on her shite, um, which is fair enough. Mm-hmm. But you are. Yeah, yeah. about yeah. panel-based stuff. Well, nobody no, <laughs> are about to talk about panel-based stuff. You no. are. And, Dr. and Boris. Dr. Boris. I mean, Boris is the smartest man in the industry. Like, yeah. I mean, by a country mile, he's a Russian genius, mathematical. He's a, like a... You're the, you're the only two people I've heard say it. Well, he's... He a, yeah. I'm a muck savage from Monaghan. He's a nuclear physicist from uh, Moscow. So obviously... We're, Sounds we're like both. a TV comedy show. but to the point it could be just a bunch of stuff that could be one of the solutions i'm not saying it's going to be panel based solution is the catch-all but generally what i see is a future of a fragmented measurement piece Mm. right where we're going to be building like this is where i think you you and i'm not trying to blow smoke up the agencies whatever but uh i think this is where you add value because it's, the, it's your ability to work with your client to build the attribution system or a bespoke attribution model of the future, right? And then be able to build that to show the user journey from, you know, top of the funnel to mm-hmm. uh, acquisition, the bottom of the funnel. Yep, we'll jump on that point about holding companies and how the death is largely um, overemphasized, I think. Lindsay, is it a good, it's a good thing, isn't it? Because it depends what you read. The, the third party cookies thing just never goes away until it goes away. You've been talking like it's it's a year old now. The announcement, practically a year old. Spent a lot of you know column inches looking for a stay of execution. Lots of talk about who's going to benefit from it and how it's going to you know the, the strong will get stronger. It's a good thing though, isn't it? This actually the industry recorrecting itself and the control alt delete. It is a good thing for for both users and I know we have to find a workaround, you know, we have to target a little bit better with context, but isn't it overall a good thing do you think? Yeah, I, I really do. I think that the reason that there is so much that like you talk about the you know the, the the column inches that it's still getting and kind of the, the demise of the third party cookie and they're like, oh god, it's just a, it's just the worst thing in the world, is because there is just seems to be inherent laziness in our industry. Mm. Um and I, I don't mean that in a in a kind of everyone is just ridiculously lazy. It is a it's a tough thing to try yeah. and find an alternative, and we haven't got there yet. We still mm. haven't really found the alternative to the cookie and what that can look like and something that is that is potentially unified across the entire industry. And the beauty yeah. of the cooking that was something that was unified. So we haven't got there, but it does bring us the opportunity to go, actually, the cookie was the wrong thing. And the cookie was, it, it was, this was not the purpose the cookie was designed for. Mm. It was, just, we were piggybacking off the back of it. Look, well, that, that'll work. A little piece of code, let's use that instead. Um, and then look what, we've, look what we've done to this poor cookie. Mm. So actually, it does give us the reset that the industry needs. It helps us reanalyze what, how we view our consumers, how we target them, how we treat them, what value they provide to us and how we show that value back to them. And because that value and the, the trust between ad tech and the consumer is inherently broken, this will be the thing that helps to reset it. Mm. But amongst that, 
the education requirement for the consumer still needs a has a long long way to go because there's still no real at the moment all that's happening is that there are cookie banners everywhere and the consumer's getting really annoyed having to click on them the whole time and not really know why they're there and what they're doing them for mm. and if they say no they have to go and click they, they receive a list of 100 names they've never heard of and have to select yes or no to them like that's not yeah. telling the consumer exactly no. what this value exchange is so there's a lot of education required there but yeah i think that the death of the cookie ultimately is and will be a good thing for yeah. our industry. Yeah, yeah, it's a big change. We don't know what the solution is, but we will. We, we'll be in a better place at the result of it. And, you know, I think it's, yeah, it's generally a good thing. But no one wants to change. The change is bad. I think people are frightened to change. Um, We're in this industry about the power of Google, right? And they, they, are, they have a huge uh, power for grip on the open web, right? And we, what we've done is, to Lindsay's point, is a piece of JavaScript has basically become the foundation of measurement yeah. on online and the open web. And that's been facilitated by the scale of the double-click infrastructure, right? So effectively, it is Google's technology we piggyback it off. So what, what this is, as you say, a reset, a massive reset. Mm. And resets can be very, very difficult, particularly for people who don't want to change because they're happy with the status quo. But within a, within a reset, it presents huge opportunities, right? Yeah. That's why you're seeing all this wave of new ad tech companies coming through, which is very exciting, right? So we have your, your programmatic 1.0 companies that are, you know, are, are doing pretty well. And Pubmatic are a good example, like very profitable business going, going to IPO, um, mm-hmm. the trade desk, et cetera. And now you've got your 2.0 businesses, which are addressing this ID piece head on. And it's very exciting. And, you know, it's it's tough because you have to rethink how you target campaigns. You have to rethink how you measure campaigns you have to rethink how you build attribution particularly in a fragmented world yeah there's a lot of companies going to be well out of business essentially in this and a lot of new opportunities and new companies with new ways of doing things crop up so you know shaking up the establishment is probably a good thing the third thing i want to talk about is again and they're all connected about the great fragmentation is a growth in vertical ad networks so the idea that as audiences become a little bit harder to reach, we're going to see, I think that the, the way it was put was a few blind spots developed that agencies and people buying media are going to need to have to fill those gaps and um, the gaps addressed that not addressed by wall gardens or kind of ID based programmatic. So Lindsay, I'm going to start with you here. What are your thoughts on that? So conscious again, this is a marketing podcast, so it's quite broad and it's kind of listener based in terms of skill set. It wouldn't be tech necessarily. So what I just said there, vertical ad networks may not, may be gobbledygook to a few people. So do you want to just expand on that and just say, what, what try and explain to people listening what that might mean to a, a CMO who's not in the weeds of programmatic? Oh, Jesus. Right. I will do my best on this. Apologies to all listeners. But so a vertical ad network is basically, it is a, a way of targeting a, a certain person um, as it pertains to a particular audience. So if I am targeting via a vertical ad network, I might be targeting, think of it as kind of going back to basics when it comes to marketing. So mm-hmm. I'm targeting all those people that operate within the insurance industry. Mm-hmm. So everyone, so it's the contextual of old that we used to know and okay. love. So I want to know all the people that are currently in market for car insurance. I don't care about where they are or how old they are or anything else, but I want to know if they're in the market for car insurance. Mm-hmm. I want to know if they're going to be traveling in the next in the next year or so. And it's looking at those different verticals and targeting them based on that, based on that the, the contextual knowledge we have of somebody. Mm-hmm. So it's very probabilistic rather than anything remotely deterministic. And it's looking at them based on a an assumed action rather than anything we know about that person as an individual. Okay. And that is basically 
what, you know, certainly it's a term that, that Kieran has been talking about a lot on Exchange Wire and kind of just generally out, out in the world. But it's a really interesting opportunity for everyone to, that it, if we then go back a bit and we look at the web. So we have the web where if I, as a user, I am logged into a bunch of websites. So I might go onto the Irish Times and I'm a logged in user. Or I might then go onto the Irish Times and I'm a non-logged in user. So it's the, the, those passers by that mm. website. Um, that is, you know, the authenticated web of, of me being logged in. You know everything about me. You know my email address. You know probably what my what my salary is. You know where I live. You can use that information to target me. But then, what if I'm not logged in? How do you then target me? Mm-hmm. You need to be able to understand a bit more about me, and you'll do that by knowing kind of basically where I've been and what I've been doing. Mm-hmm. And this vertical ad network concept helps to target based on what I'm doing at that time. What right. content am I reading on the site? How can I get more information to target them in a different way? Mm-hmm. It's going back to the way that we used to target, yeah. basically, um, but in a more sophisticated way, given that technology has obviously advanced a lot since then. Context today is definitely not what it used to be. Context can be very, very powerful and could be a really good, you know, we talked earlier about education for the consumer, could be a really good way of being able to kind of rebuild the bridges that we've broken by allowing them to trust them and the advertising they see on different websites. From a business point of view, though, just expanding Lindsay's point, is that these login users are appearing on specific sites, right? So say you're, to Lindsay's point, insurance, right? So there's a good example of a, and this is this is really interesting because the two massive uh, vertical ad networks are public companies in the US and have a valuation of two and a half billion each on the Nasdaq. And I'll get that to a minute. But from a smaller point of view, think about you know the pharma space or or health space, right? Uh, Lindsay's right. You're going to have a massive pool of of, of non logged in users. So you have to start building audience profiles around that. And actually, the sites that they engage in is a way to kind of build that. Uh, vertical uh, audience so you know health or golf or whatever I know it's very old school and, and Lindsay's right because you're kind of taking a step back because you're taking away this remember this is this is the stuff that programmatic was supposed to do like you know you, you mm-hmm. put, uh, put, put a bunch of segments into a DSP and the market just buys against those segments wherever right here's a golf segment like mm-hmm. i.e here's a golf ID right based on some JavaScript I have on, on a certain bunch of machines, and I'm going to find that user wherever they are, and I know they're a golf user, right, or a mm. golf Nintendo. So just think about that as not possible anymore. And what you have now is a bunch of companies that aggregate audiences according to the site's content, right? Mm. Golf is a good one. I mean, I know golf. There's a golf ad network here in the in the UK, and the CPMs are ridiculous because they are, you know, they spend a lot of money. On they're high clubs. net worth. Yeah. Exactly. So you're going to have a load of these small micro players emerging because the fragmentation yeah. allows them to do that. And they can probably use first party on page and build, you know, probabilistic modeling across that net. But that's a very desirable audience segment that the advertisers mm-hmm. want. Now flip that and think about a vertical network, as Lindsay said, in insurance, right? So a company's just gone public called Media Alpha. And they work in the insurance business, and effectively it's lead generation, right? But they went public, and they're worth two and a half fucking billion dollars, right? I mean, yeah. insurance—that's one vertical. Yeah. I know it's the US. Now look at Cardlytics. Cardlytics literally is bank apps with fucking ads at the bottom, right? That's what it is. It's a, you log into your bank, Barclays or uh, mm-hmm. AIB or whatever, right? You go in. There's offers at the bottom. You click it. You pay for it with your credit card. That's what Cardlytics is. It's a $3 billion business, right? Yeah. These things are 
like literally these things are in front of us. They're like, they're, hunt, they're hunting us in the public markets and nobody wants to call out. These are ad networks. The ad network, Dave, is alive and well. Right. And you, and, you, and you see it's, it's going to be bigger and stronger uh, next year in, the, in the, this great fragmentation. It definitely will be. It has. It, it, there's a great opportunity for publishers to get some of the back of this as well. Publishers to actually create their own mm. their own ad network based on based on the, the content that they have on their site. They can actually create a really powerful data pool using the first part of the data they have, and then and then be able to, to create a really strong third party data set off the back of that mm. to to target people um, contextually, and it will really help reinvigorate the power of contextual. And there's another good example. I know I keep going back to business, but I, I just want your your listeners to know about this because like the opportunity is, is huge, right? And I'll give you just a, a little story here, right? There's a couple, a couple of guys who are future and started up a load of uh, um, gaming blogs. And actually what they got really good at was actually repping other gaming blogs, right? Now they have a business worth 20 or 30 million in display revenue per month oh, wow. in gaming alone. Yeah. So, so you're going to see, and marketers love this because you're getting vertical audiences. Gaming is highly desirable. Mm-hmm. And there is an opportunity now. Like This is where I think Google and Facebook will fall over, right? So they'll do the horizontal stuff fairly shittily. Like, look at, look at Facebook. It's reaching ad saturation. It's running ads nearly 25% of the content we were saying the other day of, of Instagrams. Every, every time, every one in four posts is a sponsored post. Right, yeah. You're just getting saturation point. So your customers... They will be going, where do I find GA enthusiasts or, mm. or, or, or soccer enthusiasts or rugby enthusiasts or, yeah. you know, or, or people who want to buy bloody insulation boards? You know what I mean? So yeah. um, <laughs> it's, this is not the king's mind that, that my sister works at, by the way. She's always asking for advice about <laughs> that. So Yeah. Yeah. And I guess you're right. Because like you said earlier on, targeting is not an issue. And I think that I think we did lose a bit of like context didn't really matter before. It didn't matter where people showed up. And the context is really important. So I think it's a great point. We're going to chat quickly about one of the, the last one of your your big bets and I know you've many of them but one is and uh, you know, rare bets. this is this is uh, <laughs> I mean, this, this, this might be kind of um self-serving a little bit but like I'm I'm tired I'm tired of reading about the holding companies that they're dinosaurs that they're juggernauts <laughs> that they're oil tankers they can't move they're not agile um and it's just like you know it's like anything else you got to read between the lines of some of these things so I'm not going to name the fella because there's an Irish lad who used to work in a kind of normal agency and um it didn't end well and now he's out saying they're they're screwed or, you know kind of a whistleblower and well, talking about it as nonsense it, well, he's he's in the he's still in Ireland is he he's still in Ireland oh yeah no he's still in Ireland I don't even give him any airtime he's just an, I, 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 he write, I, hold on does he write, I'm just curious because I'm not going to ask the name over there but does he write for a newspaper or, or, or just he's no just, he's just doing his own thing he's forever on he's he's, he's inundated he's blue in the face on LinkedIn but anyway he's kind of and this narrative about the whole companies are dead <laughs> no, blah blah it's just like it's nonsense and he has his own agenda to push I get that and everyone like you got to read between the lines on these things but I think one of your big bets is that thankfully for me because I'll probably continue to have gainful employment is that the debt of the whole of companies has been pretty greatly overstated. So you think that actually um, in this era of fragmentation that the, and you kind of alluded to it earlier on, that the, the agencies can, if they do it properly, become increasingly important. So give me a bit of good news for the likes of Dentsu, um, Kieran, based on your completely unpaid for and impartial advice. He's not paid for this. This is going to be a good one because Lindsay actually used to work at publicist, so she's got a good view of this as well. But my view is that the world is becoming even more complicated than it was, right? So if you think about 
okay, if you think about programmatic and we had the cookie, it just seemed like, oh, it's so easy to do this stuff now. We can just, mm. you know, lay back and we can in-house all this stuff. And we'll in-house this and we'll in-house that. The reality is now, right, you have this great fragmentation, right? We have not just uh, because of cookies, right? But think about the channels we have, right? So you have, you know, Pinterest and you've got Snap and you've got TikTok and you've got Instagram and you've got Google and you've got, you know, all the e-com sites and display, CTV, audio. I could go on. Uh, gaming, Jesus, there's so much. Going on digital at home. It's a bloody mess, right, mm. of, of channels. What, and what you need in that instance is a managed service to help you navigate that, right? So think about the things that we just talked about there, right? Targeting, measurement, attribution, right? Brands have a day job, right? Which is the marketing team is obviously there to have sell more stuff to people for people to buy, right? And for in order to do that in a digital insight, they need to understand what's in front of them. And literally, the ecosystem is changing day by day, or day by day, hour by hour, mm. right? There's always some new channel. There's always some new media channel that you can pop up. There's always some new technology that you need to check. And I think that's where the holding groups still have value, right? Mm-hmm. Think about uh, the global reach they have, the ability to do like global campaigns. You know yourself, you do quite a lot of global campaigns for Dublin on behalf yeah. of your clients. And that is a serious uh, service, right? And even in this crazy complicated world that we now live in, it's become even more important. And I can understand why you have uh, the naysayers against the agency. Oh, the model is uh, defunct, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you got Martin Sorrell, who effectively is just building WPP 2.0, in my mm-hmm. view. Uh, he's just putting a bunch of agents together. He's he's on the uh, AIM. He's, he's using, you know, profit and revenue to boost the share price. I mean, it's a kind of like carbon copy, although he's yeah. still with digital assets more so than yeah, legacy. Yeah. From a point, I think there's room in the world for for a lot of these new consultancies and a lot of these new uh, boutique shops and the holding groups to work side by side or to work in in, in that managed service ecosystem, because um, you know that 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 managed service is going to become even more valuable. I think. Mm. And Lindsay, yeah. Lindsay can talk, talk about this. She blew in the face because before she came to Exchange Wire, she she worked at Publicis. Yeah, Lindsay, what's your view on that? <laughs> down the street and did, well not anymore well, I yeah. was down the street yeah, now they're in so what's your what's your view on it Lindsay do you think that the, the bad press is, is kind of much to do about nothing given you were kind of in one of the holding companies so you know a lot more about it than Kieran. not that Kieran doesn't know a lot about it but you know what I mean <laughs> I think that I think that there have you know there's been a lot of talk about it over the past few years and I think some of that talk has been warranted there mm-hmm. but at the same time, agencies do go through, whole, whole co's do go through a constant wave of evolution. They, they refer to as dinosaurs, but that kind of is a bit unfair because they are constantly moving and trying to do things. Um, but they're not often best placed to do it just because of their, their vast heft. So some of them are just massive oil tankers that try and make big changes, but the changes just happen very, very gradually because they're mm. so big. It takes a while for them to be able to actually see the benefit of those changes versus the kind of smaller, more agile agencies that are out there. Yeah. But I think that often the the threat of the death of the Holco is um, also tied up with the the threat of in-housing yeah. and how agencies will no longer have jobs because all the brands are in-housing. Mm. And while in-housing um, has been a legitimate threat for, for many agencies, both both holding companies and independent agencies, it's also um, it's also shown up new opportunities. Mm. Many companies that have been housed have then 
you know, gone into the fully in-house model and then gone, actually, yeah. we do need that exactly. And there are many of those big brands that talked about it massively and then haven't talked so much about the fact that they've reneged on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And are now still using agencies, maybe not to the same capacity they previously were, but they are still using, as Kieran pointed out, the, the managed service element of agencies. Yeah. Agencies do have a lot to offer. They do. They are the kind of the guiding force between along the the, the constantly changing nature of, of the advertising industry, yeah. and they do hold a lot of value. And that's that's from the from the the, the managed service aspect, from the just the, the, the consultation aspect, from you know, the media management, the media strategy, the, mm-hmm. the the data side of it. Agencies can deliver uh, everything you want, or they can deliver something if you yeah. want. And there's there's a lot that that, that I think is, gets forgotten about what value the agencies do have and a lot of big brands you know there's still many many brands out there that would never dream of not being an agency because they don't want to have to deal with that internally themselves they haven't got the capacity haven't got the resource um wouldn't know where to start still need that guidance and there are many others who have tried it and actually still still see the value of it so they there's been a lot of streamlining with agencies and a lot of them are still I, i i would say a lot of them are still trying to find their way you've seen some some interesting acquisitions from agencies over from holding companies over the past few years um you've got you know publicists with with, with epsilon for example mm. kind of like going down a sort of data angle and you sort of think are they are they going down a a product tech-led route rather than the consultancy-led route because mm. again a few years ago the big chat was that the the um the consultancies like accenture interactive would be would be getting rid and disintermediating the agencies from mm. from the discussion and that doesn't seem to have happened despite the fact that there was a big threat there's so there's, there's always going to be something that's going to not work in the agency's favor yeah and off the back of it you're always seeing them do something new and different and i think they're still just kind of trying to find what works for them mm. and yeah. find out what the next big thing for them is but actually the baseline of them delivering service for clients and delivering everything that the client's asking for will still remain yeah and actually in, in the uk um the ipa have recently released a report that, that to try to help agencies um understand how they should be remunerating themselves and that, I think, is, is a topic that's come up and, and peaked and troughed over the past few years. But it's coming up again because agencies need to be able to prove their value. Yeah. And that's a, yeah, that's a good point. Public conversation. So I think that's going to rear its head again. One, yeah. of the thing, one of the things that's interesting there is that um, you, you, you see this, the narrative of a lot of agencies change from to, to outcomes, right? They want to talk about outcomes yeah. and outcomes. And, and that, I think... One of the one of the more interesting areas that agencies have been going really, really aggressive into is the whole e-commerce piece, right? And there's been a lot of investment around Amazon and Shopify mm-hmm. and those type of things. And I think that's where a lot of the agencies are going to get value, right? Mm-hmm. And the one thing that agencies can do that Accenture can't do, right? So Accenture can do a lot of outsourced stuff like putting tags on page, right? But ultimately, they don't want to do the execution, right? Exactly. They don't yeah. want to do the dirty work. They want to do the the, the glory, uh, you know. Yeah, pay uh, a bit of consultancy and then off you go. Yeah, like, yeah, let you working. Like, this is where I think agencies might actually achieve what Lindsay's Lindsay's talking about. It's like I know if I do TV ads, my ultimate goal is to get the outcome on a platform, right? Whether that's uh, an Amazon platform that the brand is selling on, mm-hmm. or whether it's a Shopify platform that you're using as our base, like, or maybe it's the own bespoke. But that their ability to get into that space is where I think they will probably remain relevant, right? Yeah. Because all the stuff flows to that. As long as you have an outcome, it means that the the, the holding groups can can actually change their remuneration model. Because they'll say, look, just I want to charge you on the sales I'm delivering yeah. here, right? Instead of this bullshit model of percentage of media, which is open to all sorts of abuse because mm-hmm. 
a lot of agencies kind of reduce their fees and then get you know you know have rebate models and all sorts of kind of free media, which I think is it, it doesn't help the holding groups because actually they've got really good people and they're doing a really good job, but they need some metric to kind of to, to have against right. Yeah. What you know is better than I like. A lot of agents never had access to sales data, so they could never marry the the the, the work that we're doing at the top of the phone to that sort of outcome. It's a bit different with Amazon. You can actually just you know put your tags on page and then optimize to that metric. Mm. That I think holding groups have a will be fine. I don't think the agencies. I don't pick on anyone in particular or looking at any market. I don't think the, the agencies, and particularly the media agencies, have done a good job in you know presenting their value to clients. I think they've been, you know, if your model was built on the ability to buy and buy at bulk and discounts, you're, you know, that's commoditized very easily. So I don't think it's going to do a job. And I actually think a couple of the agencies have bundled multiple services in. And when clients start to unpick some of those things and say, well, I'm going to do that bit in-house, the agency are then exposed because they haven't left themselves enough margin on the right things. They haven't charged properly. So I'd be quite open about it. I'd be, I'm all right with clients going, you know, can you help us in-house things? Because it's mostly the execution layer that, they, that they're going to be doing. That's low margins, huge amount of people. Yeah. takes a lot of office space. But back in the old days, really low margin. You're not making money off that type of stuff. I'm quite happy doing dip in, dip out strategic consultancy on clients, helping them in-house, and then they have to come back every now and then and getting paid for the higher value stuff. But yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a good point about you know knowing our worth. There was a couple of other things I just want to get your opinion on that came up kind of through the year on the podcast. So whoever wants to take this can, but one of the, we've talked about Google quite a lot. We've, we've left Facebook alone for, for this one, but we've talked about Google quite a lot. Um, they're in for some tough times in the next kind of two years, I think I think it's fair to say, not just the pressure that they'll have politically, but also as search becomes more verticalized, if you will. So Amazon are de, de facto search engine for shopping, you know, audio search, uh, image search is kind of where things are going. So Apple announced, I don't know how recently this was because this year has been weird. I don't know how long a month or a week is. Um, it's just a complete mess. So this could have been two months ago, could have been two weeks ago, I don't know. But Apple's news about launching a search engine seemed to be pretty big. If, I mean, if I was Google, I'd be a little bit worried, well, a lot worried because first of all, I mean, Apple don't do things like, they don't enter this lightly. I mean, this is two years in the making, I think, thinking about this. And they're walking away from multi-billion dollar deal as pre-installed search engines on their devices. So the question I have is that like, there's there has been lots of competition in search. It hasn't really worked. Google own it. It's the, you know, other people. Why will Apple succeed where others have failed? What do you think is going on there? Lindsay, do you want to start with that one? Do you think it's, should Google be worried about Apple? In search? I do think Google should be worried about the revenue they lose if Apple launch a search engine because Google is the default search engine on, on Safari on all iPhones and, um, and and Apple pay Google handsomely for that privilege. So that's a, it's a few billion a year they're mm. going to lose on the back of that. But I think what interests me is looking at Apple's kind of search history, like the App Store search functionality is, is pretty good, but... I don't, I, mean, I don't really trust Apple building their own search engine because I've got a MacBook. The Finder function, trying to find any folders on my MacBook <laughs> is absolute waste of time. The same with Apple Mail as well. Like, it's, I find it horrendous. So mm. if, they're, if, they're, if they're taking all of their search team away from those products to try and build a new search engine, then maybe that will work. But I think, I mean, we talked about it at the time. I think a lot of people did. DuckDuckGo was the, the, um, the search engine that was being bandied about as being the privacy-first search engine, completely in line with Apple's values. 
um, mm-hmm. and would be a great one for them to buy because it's a starting point for them to be able to to take to take this kind of privacy focused search engine um, news seriously. The challenge is though, of course, if if Apple do create their own search engine, do they need to? Where the where's the revenue come from? Them? What will they be? Do they have the the, the capabilities and do they have the, the want to actually build what is required to kind of even compete with a Google type thing? Because mm. many people use Safari on their iPhone because because it has Google. If mm. it doesn't have Google, they'll probably just use Chrome instead, frankly. Yeah. What I, I, I personally would anyway. I use Safari because it's there and it's easy, but the search engine is Google. If it's not, it would take me a long time to try and work out what the, what the alternative is. Yeah, because, I mean, Google, for all the problems, or for all the complaints against it, like it works. It does. It still works. It's brilliant. It, like it, yeah. It's a great service. So it's a great value exchange. I get lots of stuff from Google. You know, they use my data. It's fine. They serve a few ads. But like, I'm happy with that value exchange. It's a good product. Karen, what do you think? Do you think it's a good move by Apple? It's probably a forced move because they, they're they doing it because they, they, you know, the competition authority is looking at this and saying this deal is anti-competitive, which it probably is. And if they're going to do it, they're going to do it right. Mm-hmm. And Lindsay's Right, there will be people who just like go. Google just make it easier because like they're integrated with Maps. Everything works seamlessly. If you've used DuckDuckGo, it is it is a pretty good search engine, but it starts to become a bit annoying because it's not the the Maps feature, which is which is often a, an overlooked tool of Google's, which is just amazing. Like like it is literally the best uh, Maps application. Well, Apple, Apple have recently um, updated their Apple Maps. Function, and actually, it's very good. Okay, I have to, I have if, to give them credit. If it's actually do, good. Well, if they're doing that, then actually buying. Like, think about this, right? Google's search engine is quite overrun with ads. Mm. I find that the front page of some of the stuff is really. I'm going down to two, three, four to find decent results. I mean, if Apple went at this from a privacy force yeah. basis, we're just going to have contextual ads, or we're running ads from the search uh, from the um, app store. I think it could be a really big business for them. Yeah, pri- privacy probably seems to be their way into it, which would be a point of difference, which would explain why they would. Yeah, it's a brilliant, smart move, mm. to privacy force move. But like, remember this, the, like Apple is looking for revenue growth in all areas. As Lindsay pointed out, the search business for Google is 90, what is it, 100 billion plus now, right? Mm. That is a big market to take market share away from. And Google is kind of vulnerable because, you know, it's all about um, creating habits, right? And, a lot of uh, Apple users use the the Apple browser, like the Safari mm, browser, because yeah. they've they've simplified it, and it's all about use. It's just it's integrated with the system. Yeah. So you could see a situation where well, I'll just start using an uh, Apple search, yeah. and it's only a matter of time before they perfect it and make it decent. Because you know, it, it, I I think they should buy DuckDuckGo and buy that team and integrate them into the Apple ecosystem rather than build rather than build the whole thing. Because like a question I had before when this came up was, I mean, Google have what, 20 years of this learning data, it's pretty, pretty big, the, the amount of data that it has and machine learning. So does it take a long time? Well, I mean, I know it's probably... I, does. Does. I mean, search, search is difficult. But the thing is, the, the good thing about all these companies now is that they're all starting to eat each other. Have you noticed this? Like, yeah. so, you know, Snap have launched this new tool, which is a, a carbon copy of TikTok's, um, one of TikTok's uh, features. Twitter is doing something similar to Instagram. They're all kind of just starting yeah. to eat. Because they seem to have a, a kind of, let's respect each other, let's stay within your, your lane yeah, and let's not try and encroach. And now it's like, no, we're, we're all, we're all after each other. Exactly. When mm. you're chasing growth every quarter, nothing is sacrosanct anymore. And right? particularly when you can't acquire, as you said earlier on. This is good. This is where they all kind of 
cannibalize each so other. So we just sit back like like the like the criminal underworlds. The police just sit back and let them take each other out, and we just we see what happens. <laughs> it goes back to the Dublin exactly. the penguin and the viper. The viper. Yeah, exactly. I hope the Viper's not listening to this. Uh, he's a he's a long time listener. I think he's big into his ad tech, Karen. So I think he's he's well in the ad tech. The second thing that that came up, which is kind of relate to third party cookies, which we talked about. Look, stop moaning about it. Just get on with it. But Karen, I just want to ask you something specific. A couple of things I read said, well, isn't the removal of third party cookies that's just going to play to the hands of it's going to make the strong stronger so google facebook they're just going to get stronger and you argue that that's not going to be the case at all you think that definitely won't happen for lots of different reasons so will you just give anybody who's in that kind of longer tail of, of smaller publishers a, a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel why they shouldn't be too worried about it well i mean there's been a couple of studies saying that you are going to lose revenue through programmatic but that's probably an accurate statement for the first 12 months right remember we're, we're innovating now around this this move away from third-party cookies. Will it make Google stronger? I don't think so. I mean, mm. they, they have the same problems that we have, right? Outside of the Google infrastructure, they can't do any of this thing in, in mm. Apple's ecosystem. They can't do it in Firefox. They can't do it in CTV. They can't do it in audio. So they kind of like have their own ecosystem within display, which is important, right? It's huge. Obviously, Google have a massive footprint. But they have blind spots, and they're pretty big, right? Mm. Likewise, um, Facebook. Facebook have obviously logged in. Uh, thing. But what do they have? Instagram is overrun with ads. Facebook is now just basically full of conspiracy theorists, and it's just a bloody crap message board, mm-hmm. right? So let's be honest. That's what Facebook is. It is a, it's, it's a shell of a thing. Like it's going to die. In, it, it's definitely on the way. On the way. On WhatsApp, they can't serve any ads in, right? So, you know, these companies have value. But how much value do they have as the ecosystem grows? Google doesn't have complete control. Mm. I think from our part of the world, yeah, well, we can't use Google now. The third party goes, we can't, third party cookie goes, we can't target, we can't measure. Well, Google are introducing their own sandbox, private sandbox, Mm. everybody's out of it. But it will offer some kind of attribution, right? Yeah. Uh, It will offer some kind of uh, way to target users. And then we're forgetting about all of this wave of new new technology, right? All these new ID companies coming in that are doing some cool stuff. Like look at LiveRamp, man. LiveRamp are an amazing company, right? Logged in data, right? Think about it this way. And, and and nobody's really talking about this. I gotta run through the LiveRamp's uh, um, sort of uh, tech stack. Their ability to sort of like Apple blocks any use of third party cookies, right? Mm-hmm. And let's just say you go to the Irish Times log in. Right, and if the users consent to this, this is fine. You can encrypt that ID, right? Not in a PII way, just a basically uh, encrypted envelope. It can then sort of ping um, other buyers in the system to do you, do you have a similar ID, and this is all encrypted. All and this is server side, so you never actually have to touch the mm. Apple ecosystem. But that's for logged in users, right? That's one way to address that problem for for smaller publishers. I mean, you have to have logged in users. Well, what about the authenticated web? Well, there are ways to kind of match uh, data in a privacy-first way. InfoSum, Clean Rooms, which is basically pulling in specific data points and matching it against a schema, which is like just data points. There's no PII data brought back into the open. It's just probabilistic modeling mm. around data, right? So, so I, I see the future for small publishers being a little bit harsh, a little bit bumpy, 
at the start. Google's not gonna li- like remember this. Google doesn't. It's not in Google's interest to let the open web die. No. The open web is important to them because their search engine pushes people to the open web. Hmm. And it's, not just, it's not in Google's interest to kind of kill off every single small publisher in the world. AdSense is still going to work, which, which generates a lot of revenue for publishers. You're still going to have your direct sold. So I think the dystopian war future is overblown. Right. If anything, think about it. I know the Irish Times is a, obviously this is on their site, but the Irish Times is a great example. If anything, it, it empowers those brand publishers as well. Like they're yeah. they're going to be in such a good spot at this yeah. because they're plugged in data, but they also have context, right? The context of their page. As an advertiser, I want to buy the Irish Times. Mm. I want to buy, as Lindsay said, vertical audiences. Mm-hmm. I want to buy that vertical on the Irish Times. I want to pay big money for it. And I want bespoke ad units. I want to run that programmatic, right? I think that's an opportunity for publishers. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and Lindsay, thinking about publishers and Thinking about, like, you think it's bad in the UK when you're being a publisher. Imagine being in Ireland, like, where you've got, like, you know, newspapers that are selling 70,000 copies. It's tough. Small markets, like, it's really, really tough, particularly when we're so close to the UK, because it's not like we're in Netherlands and, and the content is native to our language. So you get the same content. We're into the same things as the UK. So Irish publishers have a really tough time. But given, like, the Ozone project has been... Well, from afar, I don't know a lot about it, but from what I read, it's been pretty successful. And on paper, it seems like a really smart idea. Do you think Irish publishers should look at something like that if they could all come around the table? Is it a good model? Because you'd know a lot more about it than me. It is a great model. I think they, um, if you look at this versus other consortia that have existed in the past for publishers, it's work, what's worked in their favour is that it's independent. So it's mm-hmm. not so Pangea, a, a well-known consortium of, of old in the UK, all the big newspapers coming together um, to try to, to, to build a, a one big data pool. It didn't work. There were too many egos at play. A similar mm. sort of thing happened with Laplace Media in France as well. Yeah. The Ozone is independently run and it's it's taken them a long time to get to where they are today, but it's really, it's working really well for them. And they've got most of the major publishers um, in, in England signed up. And most of them are now telling buyers to run all their buying through the ozone project they're actually delegating it to the ozone ozone projects it's working really really well and you're seeing similar things again in in france with gravity data alliance and and in germany with european net id um foundation as well there's Mm -hmm. there's lots of interesting consortia coming up i think that ozone projects worked really really well for the for the big premium news publishers and it's something that again i think would work really really well in ireland there's no Mm. point in trying to compete with each other in a world where you're all competing against the same exactly, giant. Yeah. Google, you may as well come together and do it as one, but do it under an independent player that's able to, to, to moderate everything and not and, and keep any egos at bay. What I think would be interesting in the UK is, and it, this I guess ties into vertical ad networks to a degree as well, would is is the this is great for the big premium publishers, the news mm-hmm. publishers, but what about the smaller publishers? Mm-hmm. They again, they are also trying to rely on getting a lot of first party data. They're trying to get the users logged in. They don't want to rely just on passerby traffic because they can't monetize it as effectively. They will be able to contact will play a big role. But how do they get the benefit of this, of this logged in data as well? And I think that this is where the ad networks really kind of help to play. Play a, play a role yeah. here. They can almost be their own consortium because they're working with these smaller publishers. And if they can pull in all the publishers together and kind of create some kind of vertical ad- network out of them, pull all, all the first party together, it could create a really interesting proposition. Mm. But I think that that definitely is one very, very viable alternative to buyers pumping money into wall gardens and the publishers yeah. being able to verify their, their inventory and to be able to monetize more effectively. It's the only way, they, you know, the days of 
the Irish Times and the Irish Independent look themselves as competitors. They've got bigger competitors to worry about. Like, <laughs> so they, they, they really should. Um, we could talk for loads more about trends and I've kind of lost track of time here, but I just, what I want to do for the last couple of minutes is just to chat about your business for a little bit, because maybe a lot of people may know you from the podcast, but they might not know a lot about your business. So look, it is what it is. The world is tough. It's a really tough time at the moment. You guys are, well, I mean, I don't know how I'd describe your content, but you you, you would have made money from events, I guess. Well, Kieran, firstly, how's it going in London at the moment? You've been hit hard by COVID as an events business that would have impacted a lot of stuff that you were doing. So how have you, we chatted a little bit off air before I start recording about this, but how have you managed to you know, pay the bills and keep the company afloat? How have you pivoted into other areas? We've only done, like, generally speaking, we do like, what, five or six events, big events uh, every year globally. We've only managed to get one done this year. Mm. So we had to sit down and think about what way we wanted to point the business. And we did a sort of like a recalibration of what we do. So we a refocus. Well, we've got we've a very strong, loyal audience. Like it's hard to kind of describe as we are a B2B business, but yeah. we're very consultative because we have people who understand how the industry works. So we do a lot of like whiteboard sessions and deep dives and stuff. People want to learn about our industry to come to us, right? Mm-hmm. To really like how does uh, safe framework. How does like you know persistent IDs for for live run work? How does uh, how does a new fragmented um, privacy force world work? That those type of things. So we've always had a consultative our well focus the business. So what we've done is that we've kind of like positioned the company more towards content and more towards the sort of information stuff like like our white papers and our uh, research projects. And we've also, uh, in the last, since March, sort of like accelerated a, a, an in-house project called Connect, which was basically uh, is a platform that we were about to launch to have uh, Connect buyers and sellers. So mm. the idea is that we have like thousands and thousands of suppliers, ad networks, ad tech companies, media businesses, um, you know, anybody in the sort of MarTech ad tech space globally. And we're basically going to build that platform for them to access buyers in the world. So buyers like yourself, Dave, or big holding groups or brands who want to access information around these specific mm. suppliers. So that project has sort of like been accelerated in the last couple of months. We've made huge progress in that. And I think like this year has been really good for us in the sense that we've been able to concentrate and push out. Whereas if we'd done a pile of events, we could have been distracted from that. Yeah, so yeah. well, on one hand, it's been been tough on the revenue front, but actually we've managed to kind of plug the gaps from all the other stuff we did. We've also had the time and the resource to focus on this new product, which is coming out in Q1, which is which is amazing. Yeah. Um, so I see COVID as a, as a blessing in many ways, if, if you will. Like, I know it's been tough for a lot of people, and I don't mean that to be flippant, but from a business point of view, it's just been a really good – and I'd say there's a lot of businesses saying this as well. It's just been a good exercise to kind of – look at, at what your business is about and how you can change it for the new mm. world. And in, yeah, we're, we're, we're very excited about the future. 2021 is going to be an interesting year for us. It's already been an interesting yeah. 20, you know, interesting year itself, but next year is going to be more interesting. And Lindsay, obviously Kieran mentioned there, you you the events business has, has stopped. You've only done one event. So, and you're much more heavily reliant on content and that's your bag. So how have you managed to monetize content or what are you doing to kind of to keep revenue coming into the business? Is there anything interesting that you've focused on this year? Content has, has absolutely, as you would probably expect, the lifeblood of our business, both from what we publish um, as editorial on ExchangeWire, 
also kind of the podcasts and videos that we do that Kira mentioned, but also the content in our events is also a, a huge, 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 huge important to us as well. So there's the what we deliver as a business is the education side of things and the keeping people informed side of things, but also the the bringing people together part of the kind of the event networking. So that's kind of I guess where Connect sort of plugs a gap to a degree in terms of the fulfillment and the. Mm. And the the sales pipeline for the industry but the content side of things content is as important if not more important than it was in the trust before and it's just trying to double down on how we can make the most of if we can't get get in front of people with our content on on a physical stage how can we do it in other ways so we've mm. been doing a lot of uh, regular webcasts with our partners um just trying to kind of cover the same topics that we would have covered in different markets so we ran events you know in singapore in london in stockholm madrid paris germany and how can we still get in front of those different audiences and give them tailored content? So that's mm-hmm. been an important important thing for us throughout the year. It's something that you know we're still we're still working on to try to to get the right message across without, I guess, without kind of trying to. We haven't really gone down the virtual event route because right. we didn't think it would be the just the right approach for us as a business. Obviously, many others have and it's worked out really well for them. But yeah. for us, it's been it's been more around how can we still focus on the content. And not have to kind of the, 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 the I guess the absolute stress of the other side of it, which you know I don't think we'd have been able to achieve with the size of the business that we are. So it's been, as Kieran mentioned, kind of research projects and white papers that's been mm. really important for us this year. It's been a lot of our partners. It's, it's still particularly what after they navigated what 2020 would look like for them, they wanted to understand how they can get their message in front of our audience still and in front of audiences beyond their own audience. So it's been really mm. important um, for us to kind of work out ways different ways of working with them. And we've been, you know, liaising and collaborating with them quite a lot about new ways we can get in front of people that we haven't done before. So everything's been trying to do everything virtual, trying to do our trader talk TVs, which are, you know, filmed whiteboard session, trying to do that virtually has been very, very interesting. But it's been very, very important for us. It's been a great way for our partners to get in front of the audience and still be able to educate them without being able to do it, do it in front of the way they normally would do. So it's still content, 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 but it's just in a looking in a very different way from what it was. Yeah, well, no, that sounds great. And look, it's good to you haven't been licking your wounds. You've been busy getting on with stuff. So, if anybody's listening, Kieran or Lindsay, if anyone's listening and they're from either an agency or a holding group or a client directly, and they say oh, that sounds really interesting, no wonder could they help me with anything? Where can they go to find out a little bit more about you guys or about what you do or how you work with clients? Uh, so, I mean, so you introduce us as Wirecorp. So uh, we have under that we have three different brands. Exchange Wire is, is our flagship brand and, and what we're pretty most is, is most established, and most known for in within the digital advertising industry. So ExchangeWire.com is where we house all of our content. You can mm-hmm. subscribe to our newsletter which is a daily newsletter giving you the top three news stories of the day, um, as well as a weekly newsletter with the top content on our site. We have a weekly podcast called The Mad Tech Podcast, um, which you also talked about. We run regular um, whiteboard sessions and webcasts. We have white papers that are all housed on our site. And kind of we, and also, you know, we're, we're very active on LinkedIn and Twitter as well, but it's uh, we have content that we feel serves the entire industry. So it serves the, the publishers, the agencies, the brands, and the suppliers within the industry as well, and enables the discussion we don't want to create an echo chamber. We want everyone to be involved in discussion. Mm. It's really important that, that we get that those different subsets of the industry um, coming to us and, and having and engaging us in conversation. We'd love to have them as guests on podcasts. We'd love to have them write it, like saying they want to have a chat with us about random things, you know, off the, off the record chats, just to kind of get, get insights from them as to what's going on in, in their world. Okay. Well, thank you guys. I've kept you a long time. I've kept you longer than I thought I'd keep you, but um, I feel privileged here because as I say, I'm a big fan of your podcast and if anyone's listened to this and um, wants to hear like, okay, um, spoiler alert, it's very, very tech and um, ad tech driven, but 
it is what it is and it's great. So I'm a big fan of it. So guys, thank you so much for coming on, Kieran. I look forward to when we're back fully functioning, you come over and I'll have a pint with you. And Lindsay, you're welcome to come over as well. Rob, the Irish Times will pay for the pints and they'll pay for a dinner for us if you want. <laughs> drink cans of the Irish Times. We'll drink idea. cans of the Irish Times by the canal. But listen, it is what it is. That's just the way it is. But listen, guys, thank you so much. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, thank you. It's been great. Cool. Thanks. And I want to say thanks to Andrea on sound and thanks to our partners in our science media solutions. So until 2021, see you. Bye bye. This is Inside Marketing brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions.